Radio Mano Papachango. Welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking. I'm coming to you from Las fucking Vegas, believe it or not. Just arrived a couple minutes ago. <clears throat> Going to be giving a talk in a couple days on Sunday, I think. Um, I called it Psychedelics and the Search for Truth. And the reason I called it that is that I had no idea what I was going to talk about and I just needed to nail down a title and I figured that was general enough that whatever I was going to say would uh, comfortably fit under that rubric. So psychedelics and the search for truth is what I'm going to be talking about. And I think basically what I'm going to be doing is trying to uh, stress the understanding that psychedelics are sacred and should be treated as such. They're not a tool. They're more like a mentor. Uh, They're not something to be used. They're something to have a relationship with. And I fear that conferences like the one I'm at um, are going to become more and more frequent um, because people are going to be making more and more money. And you have people like Peter Thiel, who, uh, if you don't know, he is, he's one of the original founders of PayPal, along with his buddy or ex-buddy, Elon Musk. Um, Elon sold his shares and moved on to other things. Peter Thiel is one of these mega yacht billionaire guys who thinks he's going to live forever and uh, supports Republican right-wing Trump uh, candidates. Um, So he's working hard on the sort of coming Armageddon for humans and, you know, AI and all that kind of stuff. Let's, Let's go live in space. Let's abandon the planet that gave us birth and uh, move on to bigger and better things, you know. So when people like that are involved in Big Pharma, uh, I feel that the the real uh, potential of psychedelics gets lost. So that's what I'm going to talk about. And I don't think it's going to be, it's probably not going to go over real well, given the fact that this is a conference focused on uh, bringing together investors and people with hot ideas for how to make millions from this emerging psychedelic marketplace. Um, Such a weird thing. So strange to have lived long enough to have spent decades desperately wishing psychedelics were not um, illegal and marginalized and disrespected and could be used to heal uh, humanity and then to watch that come to pass and feel that we're missing the boat it's 
it's it's so strange uh, waiting so long for this boat to come in and and I was younger, I guess, uh, but I believed that that they could really solve a lot of problems, and now I see that they're being co-opted and sterilized and standardized and uh, they're going to be doled out in little miracle magic pills and um, I'm afraid they're going to be reduced to just another product in the marketplace. You know, it reminds me of, um, I had a girlfriend years ago, we were living in San Francisco. Uh, She's Spanish and one day she said to me, I want to be a hippie. And I was like, you want to be a hippie? Huh. Oh, what do you mean? Like, you want to smoke some weed or take some acid or, like, listen to more Hendrix? She said, no, no, no. I I mean, I I want to get one of these leather jackets with the fringe and, uh, you know, tie-dye shirt and flowers in my hair. And I realized she meant she wanted to look like a hippie. She didn't want to be a hippie. She wanted to appear to be a hippie. I feel like this is uh, kind of the problem with so much. That's what capitalism does. It reduces being to seeming. It's like that Rush song, Limelight, living in the limelight, the universal dream of those who wish to seem, those who wish to be. That's a whole different story. But those who wish to seem, we can help you with that. Yeah. Uh, A little more along those lines. I I read a a quote by Philip K. Dick that uh, really struck me. He said, by the way, Philip K. Dick was a science fiction writer. He wrote a short story called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which was adapted into the screenplay for Blade Runner the original Blade Runner 30 years ago or whatever. Um, He's a very interesting thinker. Anyway, this is a short quote from him. He says, the basic tool for the manipulation of reality is the manipulation of words. If you can control the meaning of words, you can control the people who must use them. Hmm. Interesting, huh? If you can control the meaning of words or even the permission to use the words, you can control the people in whose minds those words flow. So my buddy Steve Herman, who's been on the podcast, a psychologist based in Hawaii, sent me an article that was in the Washington Post a few days ago. Um. And it's about, it's by Matt Bai. The headline is, Paging Dr. Orwell, the American Medical Association takes on the politics of language. And it's about um, a manifesto that was included in a publication from the American Medical Association. This is the Professional Association of Doctors in the United States. And the manifesto is called Advancing Health Equity, A Guide to Language, Narrative, and Concepts. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, 
they decide that they want to talk to doctors about changing the language they use, the words they use. Um, and so here's what has to happen. Um, they've decided that, quote, dominant narratives of inequality in healthcare must be, quote, named, disrupted, and corrected, unquote. The list of words and phrases the AMA does not want doctors to use anymore include marginalized communities, morbidly obese, the homeless, inmates, individuals. Individual is now a word you're not supposed to use if you're a doctor in the United States. Ethnic groups. Ethnic groups. Can't say ethnic groups or racial groups. Target communities. Uh, not allowed to say that. So instead of marginalized communities, you're supposed to say groups that are struggling against economic marginalization. I don't know what the fuck the difference is there. Maybe I'm just too stupid to understand the nuance. A marginalized community, by definition, is a community that it has been or is being marginalized, but somehow, quote, groups that are struggling against economic marginalization is okay, but marginalized communities is not okay. So that's like saying... Um, People who are brown is acceptable, but brown people is not. What the fuck are we talking about? Oh, my God. The homeless people is bad, but people who are experiencing homelessness is okay. Uh, um. Okay, other words that are not to be used if you're a doctor in the United States. Caucasian, minority, vulnerable, white paper. White paper. A white paper is, an, is a report, but you're not supposed to say white paper. Uh, blackmail. <laughs> you can't say blackmail. Uh, blackball. And slave, well, I don't know why a doctor would be talking about slaves in his office, but psychiatrists are doctors. What if somebody has a dream about being a slave? Then the doctor has to say, oh, you had a dream about being a marginalized, employed with no compensation person? You can't say individual, remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th this will solve our problems, right? This will clean up reality. Uh, yeah, so you might be tempted, this is in the article, he says, you might be tempted to say something like, for too many, prospects for good health are limited by where people live, how much money they make, or discrimination. But what you should say is, oh, oh, this is an example in the manifesto. So this is an example of like, here's how you should talk. Don't say what I just said. So try to find what's offensive here. For too many, prospects for good health are limited by where people live, how much money they make, or discrimination they face. Somehow that's not cool. That's an example of the kind of language you should not use because that's so full of problematic language. I don't know. Anyway, what you should say is, quote, 
Decisions by landowners and large corporations increasingly centralizing political and financial power wielded by a few limit prospects for good health and well-being for many groups, unquote. What the fuck, American Medical Association? Who thought this was a good idea? Who thought this fucking matters? People are trying to save lives. People are out there dealing with all kinds of crazy shit, underfunded hospitals, understaffed, ambulance crews that are overworked, stressed out beyond belief, patients who are questioning the very basis of modern medicine itself, pharmaceutical companies trying to squeeze your balls to get you to sell more overpriced medications your patients don't need, 18-hour shifts, drug addiction, suicide, depression, Fucking hell, doctors are dealing with a lot of shit and nurses and fucking hospital orderlies and ambulance drivers and EMTs. They're dealing with so much shit. And you think it's a good idea to look over their shoulder and say, ooh, you said Caucasian. Can't say that. What the fuck are you supposed to say? What What is your racial group? Uh, white? Paper is bad, but white person's okay. I don't know. I'm so fucking glad I don't have a job and I never will have a job. I will fucking eat grass before I will deal with people looking over my shoulder telling me this kind of bullshit. I don't know how you do it. You people out there with jobs, uh, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you piss in a cup and sit in a meeting when somebody spews this kind of fucking nonsense. And I know they do. I, last time I had a job in the 90s, I had to listen to this shit. Not this bad, but silly shit. And uh, yeah, what are they doing? Why are they doing this to us? I don't know. Anyway, this episode, here's a, <laughs> a nice segue. This episode is uh, I recorded in Guatemala, where I was until two days ago. Um, and it's with a guy named Alex who owns Caoba Farms. Caoba means <clears throat> mahogany, I think he said. Um, they used to grow mahogany in his family. And the story is Alex went to school in the U.S., went to university, grew some weed for a while, I think, um, and came back to Antigua, where his family is, and saw that the Antigua restaurant world was taking off and there were a lot of um, new restaurants opening up and chefs who had gone overseas to study and, you know, learn their, their shit. And then they come back and they open a restaurant in Antigua and all they've got is iceberg lettuce. There's no romaine, there's no arugula, there was no interesting lettuce. And so he started growing lettuce on this property that his family had and selling it to restaurants. And next thing you know, he's supplying lettuce to like the entire country, I guess. And and then he he was like, well, you know, let's uh, look at other stuff because Guatemala's got to be one of the most fertile countries I've ever seen. It just everything grows there. It's just so lush and rich, and the soil is just like you just want to. Dip your, dip your hands in it and squeeze it and, you know, smear it on your face. It's so fucking earth. It's great. And anyway, so he uh, started growing stuff and the dude knows what he's doing. Uh, his farm is awesome. It's 
unbelievable. It's, I don't know, 15 acres, something like that. Uh, you can walk around. You're, it's a farm-to-table restaurant at this point because he wasn't, you know, the margins are really not great selling supplies to restaurants. So he's like, fuck it, I'll open my own restaurant. And it's the best place to eat in Antigua, in my opinion. Um, really good. It's a farm-to-table situation where the table is on the farm. So, you know, you're sitting 10 feet away from you know, where the lettuce was grown that's in your salad. Edible flowers everywhere. They've got chickens, they've got ducks, they've got goats, they've got cattle. Um, uh, they've got a butterfly uh, sanctuary. They've got bee things set up for pollination. It's just a wonderful place to be, just so full of life and richness. And 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 he's very conscious of sustainability and how you um, manage to do this stuff by, you know, rotating crops and not using chemicals and just, it's awesome. So if you're interested in sustainable agriculture and you find yourself in Antigua, Guatemala, make sure you go to Cauba Farms and say hi to Alex. He's an awesome guy. Uh, I really enjoyed hanging out with him. And, uh, there's a little, you'll hear some ambiance in this one because we recorded it on the farm and, you know, you can hear some kids in the background and, and people walking around and stuff. So I hope I hope you enjoy that kind of ambiance. Don't worry if you're driving or you're listening with headphones, uh, you know, those sounds are not coming from inside your head. They're coming from me and Alex. All right. Thank you for listening. I am going to play you out with, what am I going to play you out with? I'm going to play you out with one of my favorite songs by Orishas, this Cuban rap band I've played before. They're awesome. The song is called Mystica. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you again next time. Es una forma seductora de
que te enfadas en mí Si yo te quiero, te adoro, me tienes loco, lady Tú pasa mama, orgullo, mala fama Mira, ama, si tienes ganas, si te decides, llama Tu princesa hermosa, de la flor, la rosa Tu preciosa, eres la semilla Tus ojos son la octava maravilla Que en este mundo se ha logrado Tu cuerpo perfecto como Da Vinci ha pintado La Mona Lisa y es tu risa que ha marcado El sufrimiento de este tonto, pobre hombre enamorado Ya que has llegado, entra, pasa, estás en tu casa Tuyo juntos solo para manos, nena, pasa Tienes una broma, se tu cora de moverte frente a mí Nena, me hace brillar studio with uh, silks hanging from the ceiling from the rafters with a very busy man named Alex we'll see how this goes Alex runs the restaurant I'm sitting in how do you pronounce it Caoba 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 Farms in Antigua Guatemala what does Caoba mean or where's the word come from Caoba is uh, the translation for mahogany oh oh okay so mahogany is a tree It grows in multiple places in the world, but the mahogany we call caoba here is a Sutania macrophylla, which is what they consider Honduran mahogany, which is the, in our eyes, the best quality mahogany, better than um, the African mahoganies and other mahoganies in other uh, parts of the world. Right. Sutania macrophylla is known as Honduran mahogany. And why is it better? Is it is it denser it, or grosser? The, the grain is cleaner. It's a bit lighter. Um, it's really what the back in the day, with, when the pirates in the Caribbean and all that, it was like the, the really fancy furniture. All that was really made with this. Right. So it's just developed a, right. a, a, a better name for itself. And is it commercially available these days? Very little. It's yeah. very little yeah. uh, available. And uh, I used to be involved 
with a lot with uh, mahogany before oh, really? farming vegetables and doing the restaurant and all that. And uh, I looked out for many plantations of this type of mahogany before and also protection of forests. We used to have a lot of um, places that we had uh, with the government that we ran these like uh, kind of carbon credit things and we protected these forests. We worked with uh, um, organizations that protected these forests, communities, and uh, we had our own plantations as well. And here in Guatemala, here in Guatemala, uh, and I was involved in that. And so uh, our family has a tradition of this caoba name. And so when I first started, it was for many reasons, uh, tax reasons and just how you make a business reason here in... Um, no, just uh, don't hit the table because that okay. blows through the microphone pretty okay. well. So Everybody does it. Yeah, so <laughs> basically we had all this uh, mahogany type of uh, businesses happening through with the family and so that when we got originated with the farm business in order to get the legal work going it was easier to work under that name right and then it became so popular that there was no point in switching once we became kind of more of our own identity everybody kind of already knew us as Coba Farm so there was no point in switching to right some other type of name right it's already a brand recognition yeah yeah cool so you and I just met the other day, uh, backstory, I, I was having breakfast here with some friends in this amazing, amazing place, and we are talking about how incredible it is, and uh, this guy came by and said, is everything all right? And I was like, yeah, do you know the owner? And he's like, that's me, I'm the owner. And uh, you just told me a little bit about the history of the place, just to fill people in. Like I said, we're sitting in the yoga studio, next to us is a place for kids to play, they're the farm where the food comes from is about 50 steps to the right that it's or 10 feet behind you <laughs> right behind you yeah, exactly yeah, I know these uh, it's farm to table when the table is in the farm like right on the farm it's incredible the food's amazing the just the whole vibe here is so beautiful and lush and full of life Guatemala seems you've lived around the world would you agree that Guatemala is one of the most fertile countries on earth? It just seems like everything grows here. Yeah, I'd say it's in the top with multiple other countries, but uh, it's if you were to divide the earth in four four tops, this is in the top top. Top 25% in terms of soil yeah. fertility. Is that just because of the you know, the rainfall and the volcanic soil and all that? Is there any kind of tradition of maintaining soil health here? Is is that part of a Mayan tradition, or or is it just uh, you know an amazing inheritance? Uh, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that, but uh, it's more has to do with uh, the amount of uh, different microclimates we got here. We got everything mm. from sea level, both on the Pacific and the Atlantic. And we got everything from sea level all the way to 4,000 meters, which is about almost 14,000 feet. And so with, within that whole range of um, space, there's so many microclimates mm. from like desert to 
you know, cloud forests to like dry forests to like tropical forests to like Boca Costa, which was kind of like, uh, mm, I guess, like uh, ocean tropical forest and mangroves. I mean, there there's so much microclimates, which gives us uh, within a small space, because Guatemala is a small country, within a small space, so much different types of plants because in every in every type of microclimate there's so many varieties so right. that, that gives us this whole lush it's not just um, flat and one type of climate uh, which it could be lush but only with the certain types of plants that grow in that climate right. here there's pretty much everything to the point where every area has its large amount of plants and then there's all these places where they meet each other where like cloud forest meets tropical forest which mm. there's like a special range where even the, its own type of plants mm. come about because they're like inter, in, intermingling with each other for right. millennia and therefore they've developed its own kind of special Yeah. Um, so that's part of it obviously the volcanoes give rich fertile soil um, but fertile soil is lost very easily Right. so what you know, farmers, what they really do is you farm soil. You don't farm vegetables. Mm. You farm soil and you harvest sun, solar power. Okay. That's what, that's in the business, that's the business we're into, us organic farmers. Uh, whatever method you choose, whether it's permaculture or biointensive or land management or, you know, uh, uh, silver pasturing or no tilling or restoration farming or biodynamic farming. What, what would you farming. call what you do here? We practice... Uh, many varieties of organic farming right uh, we practice permaculture restoration farming biointensive uh, food foresting edible landscaping um, no tilling why why are you doing this where, where did the inspiration for this come from uh, we're kind of educational as well uh, so we teach a little bit about these things we don't do large courses we do small courses uh, just kind of 101. Do you have like interns who come in? No, here no, we don't have a place. Like yeah, we don't have places to house people, right? Or anything like that. We don't feed them. We charge for it. We just basically uh, do workshops here and there. The longest would be a day workshop, uh, half days or ha or one day workshops. We just kind of let them touch the tip of the iceberg for them to get more involved, and then they can find something else. If that's something that was to their to their liking, they can go find something else. Which there's much of within. And they can go find what they're... Right. Uh, so you just sort of give them a taste and yeah. show them what it looks like and feels like and smells like. Yeah, so we're able like. to touch a lot more people, I feel like, that way. Because with yeah. a longer course, it's more expensive. Housing, this, it's it's for people who really want to get down and dirty. Right. So it's uh, more inspirational than yeah. informational. Yeah. And we're just so busy with awesome. so many things, it's, it's hard to really dedicate... Yeah a two-week course <laughs> yeah. to someone. Yeah. Um, so who's the typical person who comes and does that? Is it more foreigners or Guatemalans? Or? Well, before the pandemic, it was uh, more foreigners, but uh, recently it's been there's been a large uh, amount of growth for the locals to want to learn this, and so there's right. been more and more locals coming to learn this. Everybody wants to do their own like little urban gardening or just yeah. something at home or even just a planter and... And uh, people are paying more attention to this than before. They would just walk around. It's pretty. Now they're like, oh, I'd like to do something like this at a right. small scale. Or right. just at least touch my hands 
and say I'm doing something. And you started pretty small scale, right? You were doing what herbs for restaurants or something, or what was your? Yeah, we were very very small. Uh, we were just growing. Basically, uh, it started out. This place was my my family. My dad had the property, and he was doing roses with a friend for a restaurant. They were growing roses for. I don't know, decorating the restaurant, I guess. I don't even know what they were doing the roses for, but that's what I'm guessing. And um, and then I came in and actually kind of grabbed the situation by the hand and started working with this uh, lettuce for that first restaurant that had the roses. Uh, restaurant was Ponza Verde. And uh, then we spread out to more restaurants, growing more kind of lettuce. And then before you knew it, we were growing arugula and... Italian basil and a few other things and within a few years we had uh, 50 restaurants we were working with right because so. you were the only place to get fresh arugula and yeah we were working more than organic we're thinking 2004 that's when we started so right. that's really when I came down from I was living in Northern California and how, what took you up there I was in college what'd you study entrepreneurship oh, all right so well, that worked out yeah so I had a I had, a, I had a degree in I had a degree in ceramics, oh. uh, and a degree in entrepreneurship. The, the it's actually called science and entrepreneurship. That's what I graduated in. Um, I looked at it said it's how to make money, how to make money doing the things you like to do, right? And using someone else else's money to get started right. in a certain way, right? So a venture capitalist, uh, a loan, family, you know how. Um, and uh, yeah, this whole light bulb, this opportunity, everything happened here. And it's, it, organic really wasn't that popular in 2004. I mean, Whole Foods didn't exist. Uh, there, there was Trader Joe's, but it was like just a few stores of Trader Joe's within the whole country. I mean, there was not much. Organic really wasn't mentioned here and there. I mean, it was, it was, it existed, but it was very not in. Mm. So we were doing. Mostly wasn't commercialized more such as organic, even though we were doing it organic. It, it wasn't our marketing scheme. Right. Our marketing scheme was more exotic. Huh. We were growing items that you could not find in your local market here. We were doing right. uh, items that restaurants... There was a big culinary scene starting to happen in, in, in Antigua, where we're located. Yeah. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people were going to study a culinary school abroad. Spain, Mexico, the States, uh, Europe... Uh, they were then graduating, coming back to Guatemala. People were opening up restaurants. And they they were coming with all these culinary experiences from abroad, but they were bumping into something. Right, lack of ingredients. Lack of ingredients that they're used to working with right. in those countries. And here they were just kept on bumping into the local food ingredients. Right. And so there's only so much you can do with the local food. I mean, you could do fusion and stuff, but fusion talks about using the local ingredients and also the other stuff right, right. so uh, they were they were hitting this wall where it was lack of ingredients and so that's where I saw a niche where why not be the exotic local farmer right so I started growing my first thing was romaine I mean romaine lettuce did not exist in Guatemala it was all uh, iceberg, iceberg right? and there was yellow leaf those right. were the only two uh, lettuces that existed yellow leaf and iceberg and le even yellow leaf was very hard to find so we, we could, I could say that I introduced uh, romaine lettuce to Guatemala pretty much. I mean, that's, that's, 
That's if some if it existed here, well, it was not available to anybody in Guatemala. It was somehow it was getting grown and exported, and I didn't. No one knew about it because everybody I asked, no one knew where to get romaine lettuce, and that's how I I began with romaine lettuce. Mm. Um, and you said you were growing organic, but you weren't marketing it as organic. Were you growing organic intentionally, or was it just uh, something you had learned in in you know previous years how to grow organically, and it just made more sense to you, or what was your motivation for that? So when you're growing exotic items, you got to think where are you getting the seed. So romaine seeds. Obviously, if, if, if there's no romaine in Guatemala, it's going to be even harder to find romaine seed from any of the seed manufacturers. So, yeah, you could not buy romaine seed in Guatemala. So from the very beginning, I knew I had to be sustainable. Mm. More than organic, I had to be sustainable. Right. I had to produce my own seed. So that's when I first got into making my own seeds. I was like, I got to grow heirloom romaine lettuce so I can open pollinated lettuce so I could produce my own seed because I could not depend on sneaking it in or doing this or I needed to be more consistent if I'm going right. to be working with restaurants restaurants sure. want consistency yeah it's on the menu it needs to be that can't be like one week you got it one week you don't hey I'm not I'm out for three months oh you know it'll never work so I needed to produce my own lettuce so that was the first thing I needed to produce my own seed so I, I knew I had to be sustainable in the seed now, if I'm going to be sustainable in the seed, why not take it to the next level and be sustainable in my fertilizer, mm. right? And uh, so I'm producing my own fertilizer, I'm producing my own seed, you know, so all of a sudden I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm trying to be, I went through that, I went down that path of being sustainable and that led me to just naturally be organic, right. you know, not depending on, on outsourcing anything. So you're not... So where did you learn? Did you just learn by doing, or did you go take a course somewhere? I just spoke to Joel Salatin yesterday. Uh, Do you know who he is? Uh -huh. uh, he's like uh, he's sort of the a guru, guru yeah. for like silver pasturing. You know, he does hens and cattle and yeah. and pigs. And I read a lot of his books. I see a lot of his stuff on YouTube. I actually follow him. Well, I I, I follow. Um, <laughs> it's not coming to my name right now, and my phone just ran out. Oh, what's his name? Um, he works a lot with him, um, but I follow a lot of people who follow Joe Salad, and I f I see him on YouTube all the time. And I got books on him actually, and I and I practice a lot of his methods. In I have multiple farms, so some of my farms that have more space in the right, I I, f I follow those methods with right. my pigs, with my lamb, uh, with my chickens, with with the few cattle I got. Uh, I follow those uh, methods, and I tweak them a little bit for my climate here, which is there, and it's a cloud forest. So right. I work with different trees and different pastures, and just the way I fence things, you know, it's just everything's a bit tweaked, but the same principle, pretty much. You know, a lot of rotating, um, and that's where we practice a little bit of more permaculture, where we, you know, we have a lot of uh, spring water, and obviously there's a lot of rain, big rainy season, so we're practicing a lot of swales and key line and terraces and just how do we capture water and how do we, you know, slow it down and spread it and sink it to the ground as much as possible and, you know, uh, work with your land as much as possible. And um, Did you grow up wanting to do this? No, 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 no. I, I didn't even know what I wanted to be. I was a troublemaker when I was young. Uh, <laughs> kind of I saw an opportunity and I did it. Uh, my... My grandfather was always into kind of stuff. My my grandma was always into roses. 
Is my, your whole family from Guatemala? No, no. My my mom was always had a nice garden, and she always. My mom's always been into collecting seeds. She's my best supplier, I would say. She's yeah. she brings me seeds all the time, even when I don't need them. She brings them and <laughs> leaves them there. I'm like, I don't need seeds. You know, I got too many of them. You know, and she keeps bringing me seeds and bringing me seeds. Yeah, my I mean, mom's like that with cheesecake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always getting cheesecake Mom, I'm trying to lose weight Yeah, but I made you a cheesecake So know? my mom's always been kind of seed things And uh, <clears throat> she doesn't really understand Like open pollinated versus non-open pollinated yeah. So she'll go You know, she'll get a random squash And takes all the seeds out And saves them to me And I'm like, Mom, do you know what, Where did this come from? Is it like a local seed? Like, ah, and I'm just like, she just grabs anything, saves seeds from everything. So do the do the plants you grow, like I've grown marijuana. That's the mm-hmm. only plant I'm really mm-hmm. familiar with. Yeah, yeah. And the male-female thing is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> do most plants have sex like that? Or most plants, uh, there's a male and a female and you have to no, sort of separate uh, them? It depends on the species. You know, some reproduce... Uh, asexually, some reproduce, they need a partner, some will cross-pollinate very easily, some don't, you know, I mean, it just depends. I mean, corn, you know, super cross-pollinated, that's why you have to plant it very far away, but then you start looking at beans, you know, you can plant a bean right next to each other, nothing's going to happen. I mean, it just depends Hmm. on the species, and within the species, the... the, um, Proximity... Yeah, but within the species, you know, just like kale, there's like 50 types of kale, you know, oh. each one's going to be more susceptible to other kales right. to cross-pollinate. But within the, you know, or, or, or legumes versus, uh, you know, um, uh, all, all sorts of other variety of, of species, each one has a proximity of how easy they cross-pollinate. You right. know, peppers, tomatoes versus eggplant versus carrots versus, I mean, different things cross-pollinate. Different Do you have names. problems down here with uh, Monsanto and and you know the trying to move in with the seeds that you can't harvest your own seeds and reuse them? I don't have problems with it uh, personally. I I personally don't have problems with it here, but uh, yeah, they're all over the place here in Guatemala. I mean, mm. um, the. I know the thing is it's 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 very tricky because nothing's really called Monsanto anymore, you know. Bayer bought Monsanto out, yeah. so you know Monsanto is actually a branch of Bayer now. Right. I don't know when they Bayer bought Monsanto out. I think like two years ago or something. Hmm. Um, and there's all these companies that uh, are outsourced by Monsanto, so you don't even know really who Monsanto is anymore it's like uh, yeah Monsanto I know I mean I had these Dutch people come here the other day and had breakfast lunch I don't know a year ago and they were really into my whole seed reproduction you know they they want they took the tour we talked we were they were really impressed about how much seed knowledge I had and bank uh, seed banks and reproduction and all that and then I actually started picking their brain out and they were from Holland and they were in Guatemala hired to breed tomato seeds you know, and under a weird name, I don't know the name, but they were they were breathing the tomato seeds for Monsanto. Mm. So it's not necessarily Monsanto, it's another, you know. Right. And then there's all these other big companies. I don't even know what the names of the companies, but there's huge big companies that are the people who sell seeds, but they're not selling Monsanto. They buy the seed probably somehow from Monsanto, but it's called something different. It, I mean, that name gets lost within translation. Yeah. There's all these loopholes. 
it's like, but it's all over the place. Yeah. But personally, I don't have too much issues because um, not really. It, pretty much nearby me, all you see is coffee, and right. uh, there's not much plantation area right. nearby. You know, it's we're in the middle of the city. It's fucking the thing that drives me crazy about that is the farmer who says, you know, I don't want to buy your seeds. I want to use my own seed crop to replant. But then the pollen blows in from the field next to him, and he ends up dependent on those seeds, even though he's trying to do it independently. Yeah, it's yeah, like I mean, a cross-pollination, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's where, when you're making seed, part of your thing is observe your area, so you have to, like, create natural barriers, mm. who are your neighbors, where right. are you planting, because it's stuff you can't control, yeah. and it's going to cross-pollinate whether it's Monsanto or not. And you're screwed. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just pain. You know, if you're going to get into the seed market and try to produce your own seeds, you better read a little bit on it and see how, how easy it is to cross-pollinate. And, yeah, it's it sucks. I mean, but that's life. I mean, I don't know how to deal with stuff like that. And you're, you're not going to win the battle just by yeah. crying and, and bitching. So, uh, you know, you got to be a little bit more aware and, you know, and if not, you got to go to, to your neighbor and be like, hey, you... I'm I did trying do to, that. I'm trying to do this, and you're right. screwing me up. Like, how can we work together? Or are you going to yeah. keep screwing me up? Well, then, you know, you got a shitty neighbor, and, yeah. you know. I had a dude, I was growing really nice marijuana on my terrace in Barcelona, and there was a guy who had a couple scraggly little plants out on his balcony, and I could see he had no idea what he was doing, right? Like, the pots were too small, the yeah. plants were super unhealthy. But they were male, and, like... Dude, you're mm-hmm. going to destroy... So I went and talked to him, and I was just like, look, I'll give you an ounce of really good weed if you kill those fucking plants. And yeah, he yeah. did, and uh, that was fine. But, I mean, super small scale, but... Yeah, because males will just, uh, you know, pollinize your females, and they'll go into kind of seed, you know? Yeah, so exactly. They'll, they'll kind of butt out. They're, they'll still bud, but they'll bud all weird. Yeah. 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 And who wants weed with seeds in yeah. these days, you know? It's... So, uh, but if you're trying to make your own seed, then that's great, you know. So as long as that, well, was, but you still don't want his bullshit. No, yeah, strain is no, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. yeah. But yeah, exactly. So I mean, um, I have trouble enough just trying to not cross contaminate my seeds with my own seeds. <laughs> right, you know, I'm exactly. like a constant. I got radishes here, and I'm like, just I got so much happening that you know, it's like I got to remind my team. You know, hey, did you plant? You're making sure these radishes are far away from the other radishes. Make sure to pull out the ones that are, uh, you know, flowering too soon. We want to have them stay long in the field. We want radishes that, you know, you're training your own seed too. So right. you don't want s- s- radishes to bolt too easily because then they don't last long in the field. Right. So you, you want, want them to last long in the field? Why to get bigger? I know. Uh, so you so you have a little big of a window to harvest. So uh, you can harvest this week, next week, and maybe a month within the month. You can harvest radishes for a month right. on that same plot right. instead of you have one week to use them all or have you have to harvest them all at once. So I mean, we're constantly looking at that. Right. Same with lettuce and everything. You know, you want stuff to last long in the field so it doesn't bolt and go to seed quick. You have, is the growing season here? All year, or there's yeah, you can grow here things. I've pretty much everything I got you can grow year round, except for it doesn't mean it grows the same quality year round. Mm. You know, I got stuff that will do a hundred percent certain months of the year, eighty percent certain parts of the year, and like fifty percent. So I try not to grow it in the season when it does fifty percent. But if it's something we can't we we can't do without, you know, because something so then we'll just overplant hmm. to make sure that we can qualify better, right. sort out the, sh- the the stuff that's not as good, 
and we try to sell it at a higher premium during that season. You know, some stuff does great in the rainy season and not so much in the non-rainy season. And then there's stuff that just, you know, doesn't do as good in the rainy, like carrots, you know, carrots seem to not like rainy season. The, the, the they rots don't, in the, in the No, the, 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 the green part rots, you know, and oh. so unless you're spraying highly chemicals, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's harder to grow them. It doesn't mean you can't. They grow perfectly fine. It's just you got a, large, a larger percentage of, of lower quality, right. and so if you want to keep the quality up, you got to plant more, and then we use the leftovers for feeding, you know, Feeding the pigs. Yeah, whatever you got to feed it for. Right. And, do you do and, aquaponics here? Uh, not so much here. I do a little bit in the other farm. Um, I've been wanting to get more into it. It's just, it's a lot. It's, we got a thousand projects happening, and you got to yeah. like choose your battles, you know. And so it's like, <laughs> and you probably have enough pig shit and chicken shit and all, you know, compost. Are you running low on fertilizer? Or you, no, no. It's you, just you with organic fertilizer. The, the hardest part is moving it. Right. Yeah. It's like. With, let's say for my avocados, an example. You got a hundred acres of, of, of avocados. Well, wait, we don't have a hundred acres, but you have a lot of uh, avocados. Uh, and it's not even flat ground, so how you can't even have a tractor to move it around. You know, you got to move it. Luckily, labor is not that expensive, but you got to move. I mean, hundred pounds of fertilizer organic is only going to get you so much. hundred pounds of chemical fertilizer. So you gotta put like one pound of fertilizer per plant when it's chemical versus if it's organic, you gotta put like 150 pounds, you really? know, it's a year. Really, big a difference. So it's like yeah. mobilizing organic fertilizer is hard yeah. over large scale. Right. So it's it, it's that's the hard part for us, the the moving of the of the fertilizer. And how do you deal with pests? I got all sorts of crazy techniques, but um, the one I'm focusing on lately is. Uh, it's a crazy story, but I really love it. Is um, you know how this whole kombucha movement has become? You know, like last five years, kombucha has become a pretty crazy yeah. uh, thing. Everybody loves kombucha. So pretty much what I do is a kombucha for my plants. Right. So it's fermented. Yeah, it's probiotic uh, juice, pretty much for right. my plants. And you just spray the leaves. Yeah, and uh, depending when, what, what, when, and where I spray it, in the amount I spray, whether it's for fungus or for insects or for foliar, yeah. you know, it just varies on the time and the amount and the where you're going to spray it as to what the use of that kombucha. But it's like a one. And you can play the you can just you can play with the flavors of the kombucha. You can play with the flavors of the so it's basically probiotic teas. Right. That's how it's pretty much that's what it is. I used to use something with cayenne. Uh, I remember on on weed against uh, mites. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of spray that was made with cayenne pepper. Yeah, cayenne is one of the best ones, and I think it's because of the high capsium. I'm not sure what it is. There's an ingredient in cayenne. Not necessarily hotter peppers don't necessarily mean it's better. You know, you right. could use a habanero or a ghost pepper. Right. But it doesn't work as well as cayenne, so it's not necessarily the, the heat. Capsicin. It's not, no, but yeah. it's not, I don't, I'm not sure. It's not necessarily the heat. Yeah. I got it all on my book somewhere. I just said so much information. But it's not necessarily the heat. It's There's a certain ingredient in, in cayenne that's stronger more abundant than in other peppers and that's why cayenne works much better than others mm. even though others do work it's just that the cayenne works better and you can use garlic and you can use neem oil and you can neem, use all right. sorts of stuff yeah i mean we we use uh garlic we use neem um 
with neem we outsource it so we buy it with garlic we do our own um we we've used cayenne we do all sorts of mixes i mean there's recipes for all these things but my one of my favorite ones and it's very simple is um you go to any field and you see what is the plant that thrives like it just kicks ass you could spray herbicide on that thing and it still comes back and then you just can't get rid of it I mean some places it's dandelions some places it might be milkweed some places it might be you know castor oil um, plant I mean it just depends different areas have different plants that just seem to love it there and thrive just you can't kill it right I mean God wants it there right I mean some you know it's it's that's its natural home doesn't get sick it grows faster than everything else you could call it a weed if you want I mean it's just a plant that for that area it's just it loves the soil that's there um, bugs don't bug it funguses don't bug it no no climate bugs it I mean it's just a plant that thrives in that space and it might be different for this farm versus the other farm so identify that plant and it might be one or two or even three plants identify those plants and that has all the knowledge like that's how I look at it, it has all the the sap the the life the in Spanish we would call it the savia wisdom the wisdom there you go that's the right word the wisdom for that area so it loves the soil loves the climate bugs don't do anything to it funguses don't do anything to it it just grows with no fertilizer it just thrives so why not share the wisdom that's right. what I call it well, how do you do it so I chop it throw it in water, ferment it, and then I test it a little bit, you know, because some plants are stronger. I test it on different plants, see the dilution, how much, is it 10 to 1, is it 1 to 1? Depends what you're going to use it. Are you going to use it as a foliar, just as a liquid fertilizer on the ground? I just basically test it and then uh, find out what works, and then... um, Basically, I make teas with it, and that's my kombucha. And so I'm sharing the wisdom mm. of that plant that just loves to thrive in that space, and that's what I spray right. to my plants. And right. it kills it. I mean, it really does good. Huh. Yeah, I spray, depending, some things might want it once a week, some stuff every 15 days, you know, some stuff maybe even twice a week. It just depends what you're growing. That's really interesting. That's a really interesting approach to just look, you know, because I think about that in terms of, of human life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you look at, how should we live in the desert? Well, look at the Apaches. Look at the, the Aboriginal yeah, ob- observation. people. Observation. Just you know, right. pay attention. Somebody who's been there for a hundred thousand years, they know how to live there. Yeah, you know exactly. Uh, and, and we're so arrogant. Generally, we go in and try to bring our way of life into all these different environments. And in, you know, it's. I think if you ever see a film called Aguirre, The Wrath of God, by mm-hmm. Werner Herzog. It's about conquistadors going up the Amazon, the first oh, yeah. Spanish conquistador. There's a book called The Biochar Solution, and it talks about the same story. Like it's, going with their fucking uh, yeah, yeah. horses and their armor. Yeah. Well, it talks the jungle, about how they're navigating like, through. This one talks about how they're navigating up the river, and they're constantly finding all these crazy villages, and, and they're getting attacked. But they're, they're seeing how just how abundant these places are, just how abundant. And they've been probably thousands of years way before you know civilizations we talk about civilization ancient civilizations only like the the Egypts like 3,000 years ago there's no right. way I mean these civilizations have been there forever you know like not forever but at 10, 20, 30,000 years you yeah. know we're just 
Yeah, they just know. found footprints. I don't know if you read this. They just found footprints in New Mexico that are between 25 and 30,000 years old. Human footprints. Yeah, it's like and the pyramids in Bosnia that they're just finding now, which are they're like they're they're already proven to be 12,000 years and they're bigger than the Egyptian ones and they're super modern things and it's like you know 12,000 years. So maybe it's not 50, 100,000 years, but it's 12,000 years. Yeah. And they're way bigger and and you know, and they're there. I mean, you can look up it. It's, there's no hiding it. It's like pretty much there. Yeah. And that's just some of the stuff, you know. Yeah. So. so is there any any part of your motivation uh, come from sort of looking at like global catastrophe and saying I want to have my own food, I want to be off the grid if necessary? Is there yeah. any of that kind of Yeah, definitely. Disaster? I mean, I I'm a, I don't like sharing my conspiracy stuff cuz you know you, it's it's uh, uh, there's taboo talk, topics. There's all these there's all these taboo topics, podcast. you know, in religion, politics, yeah. vaccinations, um, aliens. I mean, ghosts. I mean, all these weird topics are kind of taboo, you know. And well, not and, here. Not, I you know Graham Hancock is. Yeah. He, he wrote um, fingerprints of the gods about uh, how the you know the idea that some sophisticated civilization from like Anunnaki guys yeah like you know there's no way the Egyptians built the pyramids right yeah. without help from somebody yeah, coming yeah. in uh, with a lot of wisdom anyway I've had him on the podcast a few times no and so. it's it's true I mean I, I just I mean I, I'm really careful with who I talk these things with because yeah. it's like you know anyway getting back to the, the whole idea I mean you know my last book is called Civilized to Death and I talk a lot about how every civilization that's ever existed has collapsed uh -huh. everyone uh -huh. So to think this one isn't going to is ridiculous. There's no reason to think this won't. The only there's thing this guy who's a really interesting, um, similar to a, uh, a Joe Saladin guy. It's um, uh, Paul. What's his name? He he's a restoration farmer guy, and he does apples and all sorts of stuff. That's his main thing: apples and chestnuts. I think it is. Just. Um, He talks about how why civilization have disappeared, and it's because we've depended on annuals, uh, plants. So it right. goes back to farming. How we've we've depended on annuals because something goes wrong that year, and then all of a sudden, where's your food? Where's your, your stuff? So yeah. he talks about how we need to change our focus from annual planting. It doesn't mean we have to get rid of our annuals. I mean, keep doing the annuals, but make eighty percent, seventy percent, most bigger percent of our thing. Perennials, right? Meaning, you know, uh, find out in your area because he talks about chestnuts and apples over there, but that's not the best thing for us here. Here would be macadamias, bananas, uh, you know, uh, and then longer uh, plants, you know, like um, coconuts. I mean, I don't know. There's so much stuff we could think about, but try to how can we move our our system to more perennial, which are hardier to. And as they, as you plant more of this, there's always going to be. You plant a thousand coconuts. There's going to be some that will that are going to adapt to the climate change. Mm. You know, and because uh, that it, per, uh, annuals don't adapt as quick. Right. You know, and so perennials last longer. Can. I mean, unless you're developing seed, yeah, right. you you can be adapting it to climate but intentionally. Intentionally, yeah. But naturally, because they're reproducing more frequently, they adapt more quickly. And so he talks about yeah. how we should be focusing more on how our farming should be more. Whether you practice permaculture or restoration farming, or 
you know, no tilling or, uh, you know, edible landscaping, which is a lot of uh, some th- stuff. I, I do a lot of landscaping with edible plants. I don't necessarily call it food foresting because there's not the seven layers. A lot of these places can't have the, the really huge trees because they create too much shade. But we might work on four or five layers out of the seven layers that are out there. I'm just and taking then, your picture here so people are listening. Oh, no, this is the moment I took his picture. <laughs> and so here. Look, I got uh, all yeah, sorts what's of food. Garden of Hope on yeah, the T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, Garden of Hope. These yeah. guys are friends of ours, you know. We got uh, lots of stuff happening all over. But basically, yeah, edible landscaping. And you could call it, it's like a smaller version of food foresting. I really haven't heard too much about edible landscaping. I guess that's kind of a word I came up with. But it might exist somewhere else. But, mm. you know, it's you know, kind of a food foresting with not all the layers. You know? I, I remember reading in medieval Europe, the roads that people would would walk down or ride their horses down were lined with fruit trees, fruit and nut trees, so that as you went on a journey, there was always food along your journey. Yeah. It makes so much sense. It's so easy. Why aren't all the highways in the United States, those median strips between highways, just sitting there? They're all open. They're getting sunlight all the time. Plant fucking food trees in there, you yeah, know? I know. Uh, no, I get it, man. It's I, I, I do a little bit of that, but it's called guerrilla farming. Even there's a different type of style. And there's a famous guy in L.A. I know. Um, who uh, he practices. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm really horrible with names. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got so uh, many names Ron, in my head that I. Ron uh, Finley. I've had him on the podcast. Okay. The Gorilla Gardener. Yeah, the yeah, Gorilla Gardener. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many names. I keep. I, I mean, yeah. I follow so many people here and watch videos and study yeah. and educate myself on so much. I mean, I've been doing this for 18 years now. Well, it'll be 18 years in May. Well, tell me about it, 2004. When you're my age, it'll be even worse. And, and before that, it was pot. You know, I, I grew up on the pot. That's one of my main things was I grew up doing pot in Colorado and California and, and all that stuff. You know, I was around that scene forever. Yeah. Uh... I got away from that 18 years ago and, you know, started doing more veggies and permaculture and sustainable farming and all that. It's a beautiful plant, though. I don't even smoke it anymore, but I I just love having the plant around. I'll smoke it once or twice a a year, maybe, you know, every four months. I I get anxiety. I'm too busy. Yeah, me too. If I'm on vacation and I'm really relaxed, oh, man, for me, it's like downloading to a hard drive, you know, um, my computer, my, 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 my computer's full, and I need to download it to a hard drive every four months. Free I smoke, up some space. yeah, I, I smoke, yeah. I smoke a bowl or something. One hit, I'm a one hitter quitter, you know, and <laughs> and and then I download because I'm I'm able to process everything in a different yeah. way, and it's great. But if I got things to do like meetings and this and that, it's like instead of relaxing, it just makes me stress what's coming next. Yeah. You know? So I. I it's different for everybody. Well, how do you handle that? Because you got so much going on here. It's really easy for me to come here and say, oh, everything's so beautiful. This is so great. Um, but, you know, I've been here a few times now, and every time I see you running around like a maniac trying to keep everything, it's it's like a ship that you're trying to keep afloat, you know? <laughs> and I'm always trying to simplify things. It's just that a restaurant, no matter what you do, man, uh, a restaurant is, yeah. is, is crazy. Is the restaurant worth it? It is. It's fun. Is it? You know, right. I I love it. You know, you you gotta love it. You know, it's 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 not for everybody. So, how much of your stress comes from the restaurant versus the farm? Ah, seventy percent. Yeah. Yeah. And then, does the income work out the same way, or is it? Oh man, I'm. I don't know. I mean, at least here in Guatemala, the way I do organic farming, it's just not. It's not if unless you got something. 
it's like growing it's like growing raspberries and then you processing in the jam you're giving it some added value you know right. so if there's no that if there's not that added value it's very hard to just kind of sell organic veggies I see what because you're first saying. of yeah. all the, yeah. the people here don't have the because there's not amount that there's because it does require in a certain way more labor it depends what ty- it, it all it always depends what type of farming you're doing you know it, it, what method you're choosing you know I, I find I do a lot of biointensive I do a lot of biointensive organic agriculture um, that's the one I have found to be the most productive and the most consistent so for when you deal with restaurants it's uh, for me that's good because it's consistent and it's very productive but what does biointensive mean it means a lot of hard work behind it right. you know you need a lot of fertilizer a lot of seeds a lot of you know planting you know, it's, it's, it's crazy so but it's like a bank you know the more you put into it the more it puts out but if it's a family if you were a family or a community or if you were doing something more like a CSA something where you know what comes goes you know then I would do more like a food forest with a smaller version of a you know, maybe some no-till and, and, and you could practice and less biointensive, you know. And yeah. therefore, you know, today there's bananas, you send bananas. Today there's uh, limes, you send limes. Hey, there's uh, all sorts of crazy spinaches and kales and wild herbs. And, you know, there's a uh, sweet potato growing now. And then, I mean, it, you work more seasonally. That's great. I like that for, for, uh, for if you're a family, if you're a community, if you're doing more of a CSA. What's a CSA? Um, kind of like um, it's like a a, a a group of farmers who get together and send like baskets, oh, you know, oh, uh, right, to right, families. Right, yeah. And um, and even some restaurants sign up to it. But it's basically you work on what's around, right? You know, right. you don't you don't. There's no menu, right? You you know you, you get, sign up for a twenty five dollar basket and right. you you know you pay up front and you sign. Maybe there's a cheaper version if you sign up for the whole year or for six months and and then every week you get a basket of whatever is around. And yeah. these sometimes it's one or two farmers. Sometimes it's a bigger community of farmers. And sometimes they even involve a baker and a meat yeah, guy, and then right. you just you, you know you get your groceries. I guess. So yeah, I think that that's the kind of. I think it's, I think future. it stands for community supported agriculture. Oh, okay. You right, know, and so basically right. you're supporting that, but it's 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 really set up on a way where you just get what's what's available, and it's great. I I actually have a CSA, and we we sell to families and we deliver in that version, and so that's what we use our food for us, and and we we do throw some of the biointensive into it and stuff, but for mm. restaurants, it's a bit more complicated. Got to be consistent, uh, unless it's a very small restaurant, and we have some small restaurants, which are great, and they're willing to work with us with what we got, mm. you know, and they're they're easy to change their menus, but right. those guys don't pay the bills, right? You know, those guys are the fun guys. Yeah. They're the guys that love working with. They're yeah. they they believe in what we're doing, but unfortunately, those guys don't pay the bills. You right. know, the guys who pay the bills are the big big hotels the big restaurants you know they're more consistent you know they're gonna buy a thousand bucks from you every month you know mm. but they want more standard stuff so yeah. for me that's more to buy intensive. yeah they're not ad- adapting their menu every month to what you've got available yeah. in the seasons and all that and, and, yeah. and we're and you know in, in our version I my mythology is you gotta be flexible because it'd be great to it'd be great to change everybody 
to you, to your methods. <laughs> right. But it look at, I mean, there's people who are lactose-free. There's people who are gluten-free. There's people who are now uh, vegan. There is vegetarians. There's pescatarians. There's keto guys. There's, I mean, if, if I'm not flexible in my restaurant, I could probably only serve 15, 20% of the people because, mm. you know, there's always someone who's got some weird thing happening with their, right. their thing right. you know so you got to be kind of flexible yeah. to do all that nowadays because they're all 50 percent of your people can't eat at your restaurant because someone did you know right. oh i can't bring my mom because she's uh lactose intolerant yeah well i can't bring so-and-so because they're gluten-free oh i can't yeah uh, these guys are only vegan oh i'm on a keto diet i only eat fat <laughs> i mean there's everything nowadays <laughs> i'm on polio yeah. feed me protein yeah you know like i mean so you got to be a little flexible and yeah. and so that's uh, that's always a good lesson. Be flexible. Listen, I've taken up forty five minutes of your time. That's what I told you. I was. I was we can go for another for, ten fifteen minutes if you want. Well, do you do you have any sort of closing thoughts? Because a lot of people who listen to this are are young people, sort of trying to figure out what they want to do, and they don't want to. They're not interested in the sort of typical get a job. Uh, yeah, you know. do what you want. I mean, you got to do what you want. You can't just, and if you're not going to do what you want, just do it. Put it on a small time scale. You know, do it or save some money. It's good. Yeah. You know, but aim for what you want to do. Right. I mean, do what you love to do. That's the one thing I can tell you. Uh, you got to do it. Money's not the most important thing in the world. I mean, they today everybody tells you that you have to be the next Elon Musk, the new Bill Gates. I mean, that's what they that's what they teach you at school. You know, you got to be the next big multi-billionaire right. guy. You right. know, and if you don't, you you don't need to do that. You yeah. know, we, you got to find out what where is your level of comfort. And the hardest part is staying there, not trying to do more than you can to be, you know, and not going under either. I mean, the hardest part is staying at that level of comfort. Yeah. So where, where, right. where is that Because if you're successful, comfort? then the temptation is to keep scaling up yeah. until you're miserable. Exactly. So yeah. it, it, the hard part is, you know, how do you stay at that scale? You yeah. know, how don't you scale, how don't you scale up? Because opportunities, there's plenty. Yeah. Ideas, there's thousands. You can, like we were saying, just choose your battles. Yeah. You know? What do you think about, do you think people have an overly romantic sense of what it's like to grow your own food and sort of be self-sustainable? No, people are clueless. People are clueless on that. I mean, it's getting better, but people are clueless. I mean, there's, it's, it's... Clueless in the sense that they think it's harder than it really is, or they think it's easier than it really is? You know, there's more people every year that are more interested in this, but you got to think that... There's also the population is also growing. So if you put it in the percentage, the amount of people that we're convincing to do this is also there's there's a guy who who did a crazy scale with marbles. And he was saying, yeah, more people are getting into this idea, but there's three times more amount of people being born. Oh, right. So, so proportionally the, 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 the percentage is actually not really growing, you know. Right, there's more right. people being in, but proportion-wise to the whole planet yeah. is necessarily not scaling. Yeah. So yeah, there's more people in the permaculture and the organic and all this stuff, but since there's more people and more people being born and population is growing, the pop, the percentage-wise is really not necessarily growing. So, yeah, something to take a look at, but that's why I'm saying just do what you'd love to do. And uh, more than organic, I would say buy local. I'd rather like I I'd rather buy from my neighbor who maybe is not organic, but I know who he is, what he's doing. You know, he's using chemicals. Well, okay. Well, what chemicals are you using? You know, right. are you applying them correctly? Because what's worth in the chemical? Mm. What's worth 
chemicals are bad. But what's worse than a chemical? Applying chemically, applying chemicals in a bad way. Right. And that happens all the time in agriculture. Right. So they spray too late, and then they harvest. It hasn't broken down. Yeah. Or their the doses are way stronger, or they're applying it more frequently, or mm. the, you know they're not even using it properly. Or I mean, that's 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 something no one really talks about. But right. you know, chemicals are bad. But even but applying chemically, I mean, sixty percent of the people in Guatemala don't know how to read or write, and most of those people who don't know read or write are in the agriculture business. So if I barely understand what's on these chemical things, right, the like imagine yeah. these people who don't know how to read or write. It's yeah. all word of mouth. It's like playing telephone. Right. It's like I tell you, okay, it's two of these for every liter, ten times, they were once a month. Right. The next guy is like, oh, it's three times, it's three for every liter, right. you know, twice a month. Oh, and don't spray it ten days before consumption. The next guy is like, oh, it's a week before consumption. The next guy is like, and before you know it, the guy is like spraying three times as much as he should, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. like... Yeah, and there's there's that idea that if a little's good, a lot's better. Yeah, that, no, that happens a lot. I mean, yeah. that happens a lot. Not necessarily in... I'm not saying... I mean, there's always exceptions, but I mean, it happens a lot. And so I, I would say it's just get to know your farmer the most you, and the more you can. And if obviously, uh, get to know your farmer. Uh, that's more important than a certification, I think. It's better than a, mm. you know, this whole USDA certification and Rainforest yeah. Alliance and you know non-GMO and all that. I think the most important is get to know your farmer, uh, buy local, and then whenever you can, at least be conscious of of the other stuff. Right. I'm not necessarily the other stuff is bad. Just be more conscious about what you're doing, you yeah. know. And I like the the big thing I'm teaching nowadays is that there's there's a whole new different level of conception of organic um, there's a big I think the word organic has been prostituted you know and so there's a big thing there's a big difference between organic agriculture that's the biggest thing I'm teaching nowadays it's the biggest thing is there's a big difference between organic agriculture and what's an organic product hmm I mean, let's just name something. Everybody knows. Let's say a big banana like Dole or Chiquita banana. Not to say anything. Yeah, they got organic bananas nowadays. But is that truly organic agriculture? Because it's still industrial and... Well, the methods being applied behind it is... Yeah, they're coming up with an organic banana. And that's way better than a non-organic banana. But it's not organic agriculture. Right. You know, organic agriculture, for me, it involves, this is what I preach nowadays, is it involves these six things. And I would just, we could keep going forever. It could be a second podcast. But we'll just name them very quick. And, and one of them is, is your project sustainable? Right. Or are you at least within the goals to becoming sustainable? Or how sustainable can your project be? Are you, uh, I would say some of these big companies, it's all about outsourcing outsourcing fertilizer outsourcing. I mean the same people who sell the chemicals now sell the, or the organic and it's not because of their lifestyle it's not because they believe in changing the world it's not really it's because there's more money in organic fertilizer for very little difference of making it I mean mm. or making organic fertilizer is very easy but you know the same person who sells you the big uh, chemicals now are getting in the for organic fertilizer it's like the same people who do petrol are now getting in the solar and this and that because that's where the money's at it's not because they believe in in right. changing and it's because that's where the money's at so yeah. uh, these big companies outsource everything. The same people they were buying, like I would say, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm guessing, I'm guessing. But if I were running, if I were the president, if I was in charge in the committee of of, of the banana, 
guys, I'm not saying this is how it happens, but I'm buying the chemicals for the non-organic bananas here. And if the same company sells an option for organic chemicals, well, why not work with them? You already have a good relationship with them. And if they're going to give you a, a good price, why not buy the organic fertilizer from them? And I'm guessing some of these fertilizers are, you know, they're, they're planting in Costa Rica and South America and Africa and Southeast Asia. I doubt the fertilizers are made there. I, I bet they're probably outsourced from China or India or the U.S. or something like that. Uh, organic, you know, but it's still outsourced. And it, the chemical is probably still outsourced from there as well. And so same with the things they're spraying, you know, they're spraying organic stuff, but it's probably not made there. It's probably outsourced. So everything's being outsourced. And do you, so, do you even trust the organic uh, qualification when, when something in the store says organic? How do we know? Yeah, you know, like I said, get to know your farmer. That's more important. Yeah. You know, there's loopholes in everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm well, not there's saying... There's so much corruption. If you're, you got something yeah. coming from Brazil, you pay a guy, he's going to stamp it organic. Yeah, I mean, and the tests are being done in the where the plantation is. Okay, I could give you a... Remember I told you that uh, I used to be in the mahogany business? So we used to ship lumber uh, all over the world and bring lumber in from all over the world. We were, you know, doing this... Uh, Part of it was, it was all sustainable, but it was basically in the sustainable. That's why uh, we were planting the trees. We were protecting forests. It was all a combination of things. This is back in the day. But you spray these containers, you know, these containers are Mercs and this and that. You got, on, you got these huge bazooka looking things. You're nebulizing the whole container with who knows what, these crazy chemicals. In order for it to, no bugs are getting from mm. one country to the other no diseases mm. no nothing so it's a mist that just impregnates into everything that container then goes to the port and then you see these huge bazooka things that are three times the size in the back of a truck and they're spraying the whole port you know they don't want cockroaches and rats and all sorts of stuff living in the port and then it goes onto the boat and guess what they're spraying the boats as well too I mean people are not trying to transfer these these things you think the containers are, are airproof? Right. No, they're not. So you got an organic banana, you got organic mangoes, organic avocados, whatever you want. It's sitting in a container for who knows how long. Right. And getting <laughs> and, sprayed. And, and well, yeah, they're getting sprayed gnarly in these ports and everything, and it's probably leaking and, 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 and um, leaching into it and yeah. stuff. So do you, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, are we grabbing the banana at the grocery store in Holland or in you know, Germany and, and taking that banana there to get tested or are we testing the banana here in Guatemala where it's Before being grown? Before all that stuff happens. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah. that's something, I'm not saying it doesn't, I'm just, it's interesting to think of that, you know, and so I would say local, get to know your farmer, Right. that's number one. Then if you can buy organic, that's number two. And then, um, well, it doesn't mean you can't buy the chemical, but it's better to buy a chemical that's local from your neighbor and all that than, you know. And it's just be conscious. Yeah. Know if you're, you know, are you spilling the, ba the trash can or are you at least just throwing stuff in the trash and emptying it out on time? Right. So that's, that's kind of the concept. And again, organic product is very different than organic agriculture. Right. An organic product coffee, chocolate, a lot of this stuff you see in grocery stores nowadays, and it has a, a, a certification, that's what I would call an organic product. It's not following the the whole, con the six concepts I was telling you about, which I haven't mentioned. We've <laughs> we, only touched we, the first went, one, which is sustainable. On one, right? So let's go through all six okay. of them. The next one would be 
the impact to the environment you're doing. You right. could be organic and still cause a huge impact to your environment. Are you digging a well and taking all the water away from the community? Are you right. are you um, are you not doing swales and stuff and just leaching all the soil and and, and terracing and just all the soils getting leached, all the good stuff? Are you you know how are, just by not being sustainable, you're being and importing everything and outsourcing everything. Your your carbon footprint is very high. Right. So you can be organic but still be very high impact. Right. To environment. So how, what's 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 your impact to the environment in your project? Right. That's number two. That's number two. And the other thing is biodiversity. Are you just a monocrop and doing organic? Are you just, yeah, you go to Walmart and you go and you buy an organic broccoli. How many acres of one broccoli do you have to have to produce for Walmart? I mean, like I said, organic is still better than that same thing being chemically done. But it's still, that's an organic product. Right. The methods behind growing that broccoli are still conventional. Right. I mean, you could have a plane spraying that thing with organics. The, the same plane that sprays a, a, a field over there with chemical. You wash the tank, and now it's getting. You put organic in it, and now it's spraying the, the big field with the organic. Right. So the the method behind it is still conventional. The yeah. the, the type of farming is conventional. Right. What right. you're developing is conventional farming to produce an organic product. Right. It's not organic agriculture. Number four? Community. Are you community oriented or not? Right. Are you taking advantage of your community and screwing the community up and exporting everything? Are you anywhere? Are you just a a big plantation and there's no way you can get in there and and unless there's guys with shotguns there and unless you have a, a letter from the president, you can't even get in there and see and walk the big beautiful banana fields or mm. i mean is there are, are, are they doing anything for the community right what's they might oh they might do something just to sound safe outside but how much community are you creating are you creating community organic agriculture forever since the egyptians since before it's always been about community you know one is the butcher the other guy's the baker we all you know before there was money which we would trade you know i have great bananas you get i mean where's the community in this right and it doesn't mean you don't need to be the best community at all. But is 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 within your goals to create community? Right. Are you in it because you're either in it to create community or you're in it to not create community? Right. It, you, there's no middle ground. Right. Yeah. You know, and these things all fit together, right? Because this fits yeah. into what you were just saying about the method, right? If it's an industrial method, that's not about community. No, you're outsourcing about... labor. You're not even have them on payroll. You know, right. you outsource a different company who they file. They so then any there's no you know you're not. Uh, you, migrants, this, I mean, you're outsourcing everything, so if anything happens to them, it's not uh, directly under you. Right. It's not like they're yeah. on payroll. Um, you're mostly taking advantage of the community and exporting all the goods away. You know, right. you're getting the best land, you're taking most of the soil, you're you're doing everything, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean... I, I, yeah, where I live in Colorado, the, you mentioned about people sucking all the water from the aquifer. They're potato farmers and weed farmers, and they're just pumping... Like crazy, and the aquifer is dropping. Yeah. So the natural trees are dying. So yeah, it might be organic pot or organic yeah, potatoes, but exactly, is that but uh, you're is, is, yeah, exactly? So is that you know, how? Where is your scale of commu- of, 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 of of impact to the environment? On right. That? Go wait, wait. Go back to what, what were the first sustainability, sustainability, your impact, impact, your biodiversity, right? Community, community. You're at four, education, education. Yeah. 
So are you educating people about your... I mean, did you learn a better way of planting bananas that produces twice as fast and produces right. better quality? It doesn't get sick like so this kombucha thing I'm doing? Knowledge. Are you sharing your knowledge or right. is it just me, me, me? I keep my secrets to myself. Right. It's patented. I don't want no one using it. You know, I'm, uh, if not, someone's going to beat me and, right. and then I'm going to disappear. No, right. Right. we're in it together. Generosity. You know, are we yeah. sharing... Are we educating? Do fucking podcasts. Exactly. That's number are, five. Are, are we are we educating? <laughs> are we teaching people? Yeah. Are we are are you in it to you, because you're either in it to share or you're not in it to share. Right. So it's kind of hand in hand with community, but it's a right. bit different. Yeah. So um, where are you at? Are you are, are, are yeah? You can charge for it. I mean, yeah, you can charge for it. I mean, we all need to make a living. Right. But I mean, uh, where are you at in this? Right. You know, uh, you know, you go to these big bananas. They're not going to share their secrets. They're not, you know, like, like you, you got the big plantation of banana. They're not going to tell you exactly where they buy this and how they do it and what their tricks are or anything. And if they share it, it's because they need the certification. And that's the only place they're going to share it. And there's usually like a, if you share the knowledge, it's like, like you an can, NDA yeah, or yeah, like yeah, like a non-disclosure. And right. then you're going to get it screwed, you know. Right. So, I mean, that's how it works. I mean, yeah. people are not in it to share things because then monkey see monkey do they, they believe that they're they're going to copy them and take and then beat them at their it, own game. isn't it funny though because like when you get right down to it isn't farming gardening isn't it about the generosity of the earth yeah right it's about sharing it's yeah it's about the earth sharing with yeah, you you have an abundance you have an abundance of bananas are you gonna give them away no, right. most of the time no they're probably gonna the shitty bananas that could be probably good use for human consumption but they probably you know, feed it. You sell it to the pigs. A big uh, who is a partner within their their things. You know, right. and then I mean, I don't know. They're they're right. making more money on it. But yeah, right. it's it's great. It's a great great way to make in business in a certain way. But but at the same time, what I'm trying to say is, where are you in this sharing? And it comes from the produce to the education. Right. So education and number five, number six, and number six is just your basic fertilizer and your basic sprays and your basic. Uh, so to be an organic product. You only need number six. Right. You don't read none of that above. Okay, right. I got you. So right. to be an organic product, as long as you're fertilizing with organic and spraying with organic, you're, 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 you got an organic product. Right. But it's not necessarily organic agriculture. Right. It's, 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 it's conventional agriculture. It's a method of conventional agriculture just producing organic products. Right. In organic agriculture, you should be at some level trying to push those six. Right. And within your goals, your future goals, you should try to be growing them and, and growing them. Right. That's and you can choose many methods of organic agriculture. There's permaculture, which is very popular. There's you know silver pasturing and no tilling and food foresting and and then there's restoration farming and there's aquaculture and there's you know aquaponics and there's all sorts of methods you can choose to produce organic produce and organic lifestyles, you know. But um, all of them should follow. That's what I kind of. It, those kind of six things, right. the bigger principles, you know, right. uh, you know, is, is your project within trying to be sustainable? Is your uh, project trying to be low impact to the environment? Is your project trying to be biodiverse? You can start out with two or three things. You can't start out with everything at once. But is, is within your project to push to the fourth and to the fifth or to the sixth? Or are you just comfort with one banana that's basically... Uh, one of those little white soldiers from Star Wars, you know, mm. that's just kind of a clone, right. you know, from the banana. You just have a million bananas all from the same clone, you know. I mean, is 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 are you comfort comfort with that? Even though you're producing organic bananas, yeah. Or your gene pool, you know, or are you? You can start out with a banana, a citric, and then you know some sweet potatoes. Okay, that's what I can grow right now. That's what I had available this year. 
maybe for the next two years. But you know, within my one-page business plan, you know, within my my plan, you know, by year five, I want to have six products. By year ten, sorry, by year ten, I want to have twenty. Yeah. Is that part of your goals, or are you becoming more biodiverse? You know, I, I started with cattle, but you know now I know that within a year I want to have chickens, and then within a year, and then I want to mix them together, and then right. I want to introduce different pastures and this and that. Are you getting, are you being confirmed with just one thing, or are you trying to always push and try to get something more? You know, and we haven't even really talked about the interaction between the plants and insects. Like I see, you have a butterfly sanctuary here. Yeah, right? and we have beehives. Right, and we have so insect the, so insect the, hotels. The diversity is not only among plants. Are you supporting the insect life? And, and yeah, our method is to attract and, insects instead of get them away from here. You know, right. our our method's more like you know. And there's so much to talk about. It's a never-ending story. I mean, we could have a, a hundred podcasts. I love to talk. Yeah. We could have a hundred podcasts. Yeah. Probably still only cover a certain amount, you know. So. Well, listen. I, anybody who comes to Antigua needs to come to this place, Caoba Farms, and say hi to Alex. You'll see him running around trying to keep the ship afloat. <laughs> <laughs> this is really great. Thank you for your time, man. I, I know you're a busy man, uh, and thank you for creating this awesome place yeah this yeah. is a really nice place to just come and hang out too people walking around with their kids and their dogs just like with their mouths open uh it's awesome so thanks man yeah really appreciate it well thanks for your time as well and i uh, like sharing and getting the word out he said baby what's a big deal feel what you want to feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation say when everyone we've ever known is headed for a headstone i don't want to give the end away but we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day so baby what's a big deal if you want to be you wanna feel spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms <laughs>
would dance into the ground.